Hello and welcome all, this is Zach here back with another episode of Clutch Crew Sports. On this podcast we discuss topics ranging from NBA, NFL, college football and basketball, as well as daily fantasy and fantasy football advice. This podcast is featured on Anchor.com, Spotify, Stitcher, Pocket Cast, YouTube, and soon to be iTunes. You can currently find more info about Clutch Crew Sports at my Facebook page, Clutch Crew Sports. Hello everybody, this is Zach back here with another episode of Clutch Crew Sports, episode number four in the series, and today we're, I'm joined by Eric and Connor, and What's we're up? all going to yep. <laughs> uh, and we're all going to be talking about our reactions to game three of the finals, as well as looking forward to game four. There's still going to be injury talk with Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant. And then we're going to go over our DraftKings lineups, how they went, our new lineups for the new game, as well as we did get one fan question that we're going to talk about as well. So with that being said, the Raptors, in case anybody's living under a hole and didn't watch the game (laughs) or hear about it in the news, they won 123 to 109 over Golden State in Oakland, which... I was a little bit surprised by the margin of their victory. I cuz but personally I predicted that Golden State was going to win the game when they said Clay Thompson wasn't going to play, I believe 5 minutes before the game started. I was thinking that it's going to be a lot closer than I had predicted cuz if Clay Thompson was in there, I would have like if he was fully healthy, I would have predicted the Warriors to win by 10 to 12 points, but then I was thinking Okay, without Clay, they still, you know, need to win this, I think, and are going to fight hard on their home court to win. So I was still going to give them a little bit of an edge, but I knew it was going to be, you know, a close, grinded-out game. But I was just completely surprised and impressed by Toronto. During the last game, I said that Kyle Lowry got most of the blame for Game 2. And I... We all agree, or the rest, uh, Eric and Connor said that it was more of a team effort, whereas I mo- mainly focused on Lowry in that game, too. And they agreed that he didn't play as well as he should have played. But, man, he really came out in game three and proved me wrong. So I do have to give Kyle Lowry an apology for that. He definitely showed up in this game. He played 43 minutes, 23 points. Nine assists, four rebounds, one steal, three turnovers. I think he got away with one, but I believe in the second quarter, towards the end of that second quarter, the Warriors were going on a their best run of the game, and he got away with, in my opinion, a foul that they called on Livingston or somebody on the Warriors. It was kind of a weird play, but it was right after he picked up two dumb fouls, and I was thinking... He, he was playing an okay game up to that point. He wasn't playing great, but he wasn't bad. And I was thinking when that was happening, oh, here we go again with another Kyle Lowry no-show or you know negative performance getting these fouls and allowing Golden State back in the game. But in that second half, he really, he really stepped up big, hitting five of nine three-pointers, eight of 16 shooting. And I'm looking at the stats and... I don't believe that the Raptors are going to be able to deliver as good of a performance as they did. All of their starters score at least 17 points, and all the players who 
attempted shots shot 50% or better. And that's what impressed me the most. So I'm going to I'm going to give in game 3 the Raptors credit for winning the game and not necessarily Golden State playing bad. Golden State could have played a lot better, but the Raptors were just too impressive to me and that's why they got the win. Golden State was limited without Clay. Draymond had 17, but it was a very quiet 17 and a lot of it came at the end at the end of the game with not much time remaining and the result was already determined and he had some bad turnovers early in the game that looked to me like without clay in the lineup and because the warriors have had to change their starting five a lot over the course of the playoffs with all these injuries and stuff it didn't look like they were cohesive as a team there were so many turnovers going on which you don't usually see by a team like the Warriors who have been the five straight finals at on their home court. So all these different lineup combinations for the Warriors, I think is hurting them. And Steph, like I predicted in the last episode would go off for 40. He went for 47 and they still lost by double digits. So it's seeming to me a little bit now, like Steph is in that LeBron James kind of mode of last year's finals when LeBron was great, but nobody else on his team could step out. That's how this game felt to me. It felt like Steph was mimicking that LeBron performance in past finals when the Cavaliers didn't really have a supporting cast around him. But you expect Draymond Green to do better. I think he let him down. DeMarcus Cousins, he let him down, especially because everybody was thinking how well he was going to be after that game two performance. Quinn Cook did all right coming off the bench, but... There was really nobody else, and the way Toronto was shooting, it didn't make for a very good chance of Golden State winning. Danny Green hit 6 of 10 three-pointers, 18 points, and that the thing with Danny Green is, I said before, he's so hot or cold, he could have a game two where he'll just wreck people's daily fantasy lineups, but then he'll have a game three where... He'll just surprise everybody. And he only played 27 minutes because he did pick up some some foul trouble. But, man, he was just clutch shooting the three-pointer. He shot at a better percentage than Steph did at three. And in general, the Raptors, every time Golden State would make a three or start to make a little bit of a push, Toronto would squash it with their own three-pointers. And they kind of played the Warrior style of basketball on the Warriors' home court, which I thought was interesting. But... Eric, I'll let you uh, tell everybody what you thought now. Yeah, I definitely feel, I definitely agree with a lot of the points that you made. The Raptors definitely had a dominance in this game. It reminded me of how they were in game one, where when they had the lead and the Warriors were coming back, but it just didn't feel like the Warriors were going to be able to overtake them and take the lead and win the game. And that's exactly what happened. The Raptors kept getting up by double digits. Warriors would go on a little run, get it to within five or maybe seven points, but then the Raptors would put their foot on the gas again. And I feel like if the Raptors had played this way in game two, it would be a three Oh lead, but it's not. And I know a lot of people are going to say it was because Clay Thompson was out. I just still don't know if the Warriors would have won this game even with him in there. 
obviously it's hard to say but i just i feel like the main problem for the warriors i remember some of the commentators were saying before the game that obviously steph curry was going to be the number one focus but someone else was going to need to step up and be that number two guy in order for the warriors to win and really nobody stepped up and became that person Steph Curry literally had close to half of their points and as great a performance as he put on in this game, that's not going to, you know, with all the rest of the players not stepping up, it obviously wasn't enough. And I don't think it was necessarily that he didn't have a strong enough cast around him per se, kind of like the LeBron comparison. Mm -hmm. Although with LeBron, I, feel like there was a little bit of an excuse for that too, but that's a whole another topic for another thing. <laughs> but I feel like Draymond Green and DeMarcus Cousins needed to step up again. And they both played fairly well in game two, but in this game, it just seemed like they both fell off the map. And then Livingston and Iguodala were the other two starters, but they aren't necessarily the greatest shooters per se. So they just weren't able to generate enough offense. And I had mentioned in the previous podcast that I didn't feel like the Raptors were going to shoot as badly as they did in game two. Mm -hmm. I did not expect them to shoot as great as they did in this game, but I, my gut feeling told me that they were going to shoot better in game three than they did in game two. And then that would be a big difference. And that ended up being the case. And Toronto was just sliding them up on offense. And in addition to the bad shooting from the golden state players, other than Curry, their defense was off. And Zach, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think them having to change their starting five all the time is obviously mm-hmm. messing with their defensive rotations. It's messing with them in terms of the help defense, who's supposed to come off and, you know, switch players or who, you know, it just seems like there was a lot of confusion on the defensive end from golden state in this game. And, Toronto was taking advantage of it because partially why Toronto shot so much better. I mean, obviously Danny Green was way better from three Kyle Lowry, you know, for the first time this series had a really good shooting night overall, but even in addition to the boost and threes that they were getting, they were getting a lot of easy layups and dunks. So of Mm -hmm. course that's going to be a boost in the field goal percentage also. So I feel like those two things were, the main reasons why Toronto was able to dominate this game, essentially. So with the rumor being that Clay Thompson's supposed to be back for the next game, this will make it more interesting. And this will be the first uh, prediction video we make where we know for 100% fact that Kevin Durant is not playing since they've already said he's out for the next game. (laughs) Not that we thought he was, not that we thought he was playing, but we know for sure he's not, so that'll factor into our predictions, but I know we're going to get to that in a little bit. So, Connor, mm-hmm. I'll let you take over and give your thoughts on the game. Yeah, I mean, this game was – it was truly an entire team effort from Toronto. You know, we talked about the last game with Toronto, how Kyle Lowry had a really disappointing game. Mark Gasol played not too good. Siakam had a bad game last game. But really, I don't think I can say anything bad about any of the Toronto players who got significant minutes in this game. I mean, they all showed up to perform. They all 
hit the shots that they needed to make in the moments they needed to make them. And it helped a lot for them that when one of them wasn't hitting, everybody else picked them up. I know, for example, like Siakam, Siakam had a dominant first half. I mean, he was the main offense for the Raptors in the first half. You know, he was knocking down shots. He was blowing by Draymond Green, you know, or really any defender they put on him, he was getting by them. And But then the second half came around and Draymond Green started to get back in the game. And I don't know how many points Siakam had in the second half, but it couldn't have been more than four, you know, four mm-hmm. or six. But honestly, you know, he didn't need to put up those more points because the rest of the team was stepping in for him. Danny Green was probably the biggest shock for me. I mean, I know we all, again, we talked about how bad Lowry was and how he ha- bad he had been throughout the series, but we always knew that he was a good player. It was just in the playoffs. He never performed, but Danny Green hitting, you know, six for 10 from three. I mean, the only shots he took all game were three pointers. He didn't take a single two point shot and to still put up 18 points like that is incredible especially only playing 27 minutes and getting into the foul trouble that he was. And, you know, the, the rest of the team, Van Vliet had another good game. You know, he, he was on the court a lot. He didn't put up a lot of points, but he did his best to defend the other team. They put him out there mostly to defend Steph Curry. Serge Ibaka had a really good end of the game. He was kind of quiet for the first half and even in the third quarter, but he came out in the fourth quarter and I think he got like, three or four blocks in like a three or four minute span. Yeah. Um, and he started to put up a couple points. So it was just a total team effort for the Raptors. And I think I agreed with Eric and about that, you know, had they played like this and could have brought this together in game two, they could have easily won game two as well. And it would be three Oh, and we'd be talking about a possible sweep instead of it being them only being up two to one. And yeah, I mean, you look at the Warriors, Steph Curry was amazing. You know, he's probably the best shooter ever in the history of the NBA. But, you know, I agree with what you guys were saying about he can't just do it on his own. I mean, you know, you can put up 47 points, but he was taking pretty well all the shots. And the Raptors knew that he was going to take the shots, so he was getting double teamed and having to take constantly contested shots and bad shots, and, you know, he would try to drive to the basket all on his own and just didn't work. The Raptors knew he was going to be the one. And without Clay, it really hurt them because, especially from behind the arc, they could just guard Steph Curry. I mean, we saw early in the game with Draymond, the Raptors were leaving him wide open behind the arc. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he was proving them <laughs> right, I guess I should say, for leaving him open like that because he was throwing up air balls and just missing the shots. And he didn't actually make a three-pointer until the fourth quarter, which by that point, it didn't really matter anymore. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, even even Iguodala struggled behind the line. I mean, only two for six from three-point range. I mean, it's not terrible. But, you know, when you're a team that's used to getting consistent three-pointers all game from Steph and Clay Thompson – you know, when you only make a total of around 12 three-pointers, I think that's what they made, 12 three-pointers. That's a really low number for the Golden State Warriors. And they just, they really missed Clay in that aspect. But I also agree with you guys that it wasn't just Clay being out. 
I mean, the Raptors played a flawless game. I don't know if Golden State could have beaten them, you know, with Clay and maybe even if they had Durant. I mean, mm-hmm. just the way the Raptors play, they played a flawless game. Um, you don't see that too often. It's really hard to beat a team, even if you are the Golden State Warriors, to beat a team that played that well. Biggest disappointment for the Warriors, definitely DeMarcus Cousins. I know we'll get to this later, but I had him in my DraftKings lineup, if you guys remember from the previous podcast, and boy, did he let me down. You know, only one for seven from the field, and just really playing lackluster defense. I mean, his defense was – he got a couple rebounds, but Siakam and Marcus Gasol were just tearing him apart uh, whenever he was out there on defense. And, you know, the – Andrew Bogut saw his most minutes of the series this game probably because of that. You know, he only played seven, I think it was seven minutes in game two. I don't think he played at all in game one. So Andrew Bogut being in there, it helped stop the bleeding for a little bit, but they just couldn't stop the Raptors. And, you know, Quinn Cook played all right, missing, he missed a couple three pointers. But yeah, I just, the Raptors played flawlessly, and the Warriors are really going to have to work on find, getting that second man besides Steph. Because even if Clay ends up playing in Game Four, we're not 100% sure on his status right now. But even if he does, he's obviously still not going to be 100%. And the Warriors proved last night that Steph Curry alone can't just carry this team. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and the other thing that I wanted to mention, I think with Golden State that they should be really disappointed about was just their defense in general. I think Steve Kerr mentioned this. You know, he wasn't as upset about the lack of offensive production, more so just the defense. The Raptors kept getting good shots. Lowry and Green were constantly open from behind the arc. I mean, it kind of looked. The Raptors kind of looked how the Warriors looked, and like in the third quarter of Game Two. You know, they were passing the ball really well. They were getting open looks, and the Warriors just couldn't defend them. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Game 4. Obviously, the Warriors are going to want to come back out and not lose again on their home court. And we'll be really interested to see if Clay ends up playing next game and if that will – how that will affect the outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with, with a lot of what both of you guys said there. And one thing I I wanted to add before we switch on and think about what we predict will happen in Game 4 is another reason why I'm so impressed with Toronto. And this whole episode so far has been just praising and praising Toronto, and rightfully so, because when a team like Golden State has all the injuries that they do, no Clay Thompson, no Kevin Durant, and even no Kevon Looney, and I'll talk a little bit when we get to the injury part about how I think losing Kevon Looney is an underrated, you know, big time loss for Golden State is they put their foot on the gas the whole game. They could have easily gone into this game thinking we got this. We, you know, we all we need is Kawhi and the rest of the players to be average and we'll get this because all we have to worry about is Steph. But, you know, I give them credit for not having that mindset and just kind of, you know, they won, they outscored Golden State in every quarter of the game. They never, I think they got up by seven at the end of the first quarter 
and they never got at any point, I think, within seven. So I give Toronto a lot of credit for that because a lot of times when teams are playing Golden State, you know, we'll see a first half like we saw in game three. And then as in game two, that third quarter comes and Golden State goes on their run and the other team can never mentally prepare themselves after that. But Toronto came in not with that mindset that it's going to be a cakewalk uh, once they learned that Clay wasn't going to play. And they really stepped up and and performed well, which I think they needed to. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, well, I think it's going back to what Eric said in the last podcast about you know, going into this series, all the pressure was on the Warriors. Mm-hmm. And going into this game, the pressure shifted to Toronto. And I think Toronto really understood that. You know, mm-hmm. they realized that how are we going to look if even if they'd still won, but only won by like, you know, four or five points, how would it look if Toronto could only barely beat or even lose to a Warriors team that has all these injuries? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, would how would that how would that look for them, um, especially going forward when the Warriors eventually get Clay back and possibly maybe get Kevin Durant back? Mm-hmm. How would that look on them? So they wanted to come out and prove that yes, we are a dominant team, and you know if they're down and out, then we're gonna beat them by double digits. We're gonna show that we are the better team. And we're not going to hold back and get complacent just because they're missing some players. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't remember for sure, but I want to say it was Paul Pierce during the halftime show had said it in regards to what Connor just said. You know, if you're the Raptors and you can't beat this team without Kevin Durant and without Clay Thompson, you might as well just pack your bags and go home and forfeit the series. He said something similar to that. And it's, and it's true. It's true because, you know, Clay Thompson's going to be back in the next game most likely. I still don't see Kevin Durant playing in the series, but if he is able to, then that just makes it even more difficult for the Raptors as opposed to not having Clay and Kevin Durant in there. So, like you guys both said, the Raptors needed to win this game and even better to win in a dominant fashion. So there's definitely no question marks regarding their performance in the game. So I, I definitely agree with that mm-hmm. for sure. If, uh, if Toronto had lost this game, they'd be going into game four down two one and golden state is getting healthier. So it, like you said, it probably would have been it for Toronto. Yeah. If they had lost I game. mean, it would have been over in my opinion, if they had yeah. lost game three, the Warriors would have taken the series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said, in, I said in the last podcast that I felt if the Warriors had been able to steal this game three, that they probably would win the series in five games. But now that the Raptors have done what they were supposed to do and win this game with all the injuries the Warriors have had, then it keeps the possibilities open for Toronto to win the series. So yeah, I'm definitely curious to keep seeing what's going to happen. <laughs> Yeah, so so now that we're looking at Game 4 here, I think this is now the Warriors' pressure because, you know, you it's, it's very unlikely if you're down 3-1 to come back and win the series. We saw LeBron do it in 2015, I believe. So it's possible, it's done before, but, you know, it's very unlikely to happen. 
So I believe the the Warriors need to win game four on their home court if they want to win the series because then you go to game five, they switched the format of the finals a couple years ago back to the 2-2-1-1-1 format. So it's going to be back in Toronto. And so Toronto is going to have the advantage just for the pure home court advantage in that game. So Golden State, need, I think they need to win this game four. And looking at their lineup, it's going to, I think Clay Thompson is going to play game four. I think the whole reason that he wasn't even playing in game three is because they had the series tied 1 1. So they could afford to lose game three and allow Clay to recover and not risk re injuring himself in game three. So I believe if game three had started and the Warriors were down 0 2, Clay would have probably played that game just because. You know he's a very determined athlete. Like he, he, he wants to play. Everybody's said that you know he wanted to play game three, and the coaches just wouldn't let him because they were worried about him re-injuring himself. So I expect Clay to be back for game four. I think he'll be fine. I'm not gonna predict like a forty piece from him, but I think he'll be fine, and I think he will be that second option that Golden State was lacking in game three. So I'm going to say Golden State wins game four because they know they have to. You know, they're, I don't think they're going to lose back-to-back games on their home court. I don't think they've done that at all in their playoff run. So it would be something that we've never seen before, I think, if Golden State loses this game four. But it's definitely going to be interesting because Toronto's got all the momentum heading into it, and they are probably going to come in confident. But... They got to remember that from game two, the lesson from game two, not to get overconfident because they came into game two overconfident, you know, Drake pumping up the crowd and everything. So they kind of relaxed. He's the curse. <laughs> the Drake curse. Yeah, Drake sucks. No, <laughs> Whatever your thoughts on Drake are, he or Drake is that, you know, he gave them, he gave their crowd some energy and, and everything, but. Now they're in now they're in Oakland and you know all the pressures on Golden State so we'll see how they respond. Steph who normally doesn't show up very big like cuz Steph's never won a finals MVP but the fact that he had 47 in this game I think means that he's playing his best basketball that he's probably ever played in the finals. So that's encouraging for the Warriors getting Clay I predict Clay will be back. Durant's not going to be playing but they're saying that Durant's going to be back for game five. I know they've said that he's going to be back for every game in every series, but they're starting. I'm starting to see some reports that it might actually be true and he might actually come back for game five. So, or at least that's what they're really hoping for. So I think they'll be feeling the on the Warriors end, they'll be feeling good if they win game four with Clay back. And then hopefully they want to try and win game five. But, you know, this. Is gonna. I think this is gonna be a deciding game here. Kind of like Eric said that game three was his deciding game. I think this game four is gonna be my deciding game because, you know, you're gonna have a good representation of what's probably gonna be the rest of the games. Even if Durant comes back, I don't think he's gonna be the same Durant. So this. So game four for me, I'm gonna predict the Warriors win. I won't give a score total yet, but. I just don't expect Toronto to have as great of a game. I think 
the Warriors are going to come back. And, you know, this has been a back-and-forth series with adjustments and everything. So I think the Warriors will win this one. And my early gut feeling says Toronto will win Game 5, but we're going to do another podcast show hopefully before then to get our thoughts on Game 5. But for Game 4, I'm going to take Golden State. You know, I just don't see them losing two in a row on their home court like this. So I've got the Warriors winning. I've got Clay coming back, Durant's not playing, and Toronto fights hard. I think they fight hard in Game 4, but the Warriors are going to fight harder, I think, because they know that they need it more. So, Yeah, this game for me is really hard to predict. I'm the only one in the podcast that has predicted the Raptors to win all three of the games to this point. I'm the only one that hasn't picked the Warriors yet. And I don't know. I definitely hear what you're saying. And I don't disagree with anything that you said, but I don't know. I just have this I heard, strong. Fe- I just have this strong the fact feeling. That you said, but there after he said you don't disagree with anything. I, is he, he going to pick a Toronto sweep? I, <laughs> or not, not sweep, but you I, know. I'm predicting the Raptors. I'm going with the Raptors again. I know it's crazy because going up into the video, I really had pretty much all the same thoughts as Zach that the Warriors were going to win because from what I'm hearing, not only is Clay Thompson returning for the game, he's not going to be on any kind of limited minutes or limited role or anything like that. He's supposed to be like he would be when he normally plays in terms of how many minutes he plays and what his role will be in the game. But my guess is going to be that Golden State is going to come out hot. I think they are going to get off to a big lead early in the game. Okay. Because they're they're gonna they're gonna be pumped up. They've got Clay Thompson back. The crowd's gonna be trying to will them to a victory. The key is gonna be if Toronto can weather the early storm. You know Golden State's gonna come out hype. They're gonna come out pressing. They're probably gonna be shooting a lot of threes now that Clay's back in there. If they make them will be you know the difference or not there. But I don't know. For some reason, I just have this weird feeling in my gut that Toronto is going to steal this game because I feel like Golden State defensively has not been good in this series. Even in the game that they won, where they held the Raptors to 104, I felt like a lot of that was because the Raptors were missing a lot of open shots that they weren't missing in games one and three. So... I don't know. I just feel like overall Toronto has outperformed the Warriors, even when Clay mm-hmm. Thompson was in there, other than just that bad second half of game two. And I'm going to keep going with the Raptors. I, okay. I'm i picking them. I, it's crazy. I I don't know. I'm almost like speechless over this for some reason. I don't know. It's almost <laughs> like you hear what you're saying. It's Yeah, it's like I'm saying it. I'm like, wait, is that really what I just said? <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with the Raptors to steal another game on the road. I, will, I mean, I, this is a type of thing where I won't be shocked if I'm wrong. Okay. But for some reason, I've just got this weird feeling telling me that. So I'm, I'm sticking with it. Yeah. You know, we spent so much time last podcast talking about how Game 3 was a must-win for Toronto. You know, they wa- they had to win Game 3. If not that was going to be it for them. The series was going to be over. 
and there was no way they were going to win. And it's really interesting seeing how the script has flipped now. Game four really is a must win for Golden State because I think if Toronto wins this game, then Toronto is going to take it in five games, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. I don't see them losing on their home court, um, especially if they win game four. They're going to be have all the momentum behind them. So the Warriors really do need to win this game if they want to take the series further than five. So as far as prediction goes, I a lot of what Eric said has kind of gotten me questioning my pick at this point because I didn't wa- I didn't watch game one, but I did watch a little bit of game two, and obviously I watched all the way through game three. And I do agree that, you know, Toronto really has outplayed Golden State all throughout mm-hmm. the series. And, you know, just going back and watching game two at the end of the game, Toronto honestly probably should have won that game. They just missed so many open shots. Golden State's defense was not there. And Toronto's defense, you know, it disappeared in the third quarter and for the start of the fourth, but then they found it again. Mm -hmm. And it was just that they couldn't hit the shots. But I do think I still have to pick Golden State in this game, uh, especially getting Klay Thompson back. Steph Curry, if he performs anywhere close to how he performed last game, then the Warriors should win, especially with Clay back and in front of the home crowd. It's really difficult to pick against Golden State in this scenario. So I, again, just like last time, I don't think it'll be by much, but I think I have to go with Golden State for game four. Yeah. You know, I, I feel like a lot of times when people predict games and we try and analyze before the game starts, that we're kind of in prisoners of the moment sort of mentality because game one, Toronto looked great. Everybody thought Toronto was, you know, probably going to win game two because they're on their home court. They played a great game one. Everybody's saying Siakam is going to be the finals MVP. He's the next, you know, he's better. He's head and shoulders above better than Draymond. Kawhi is the best player in the NBA. These are the kind of like reactions that some people get after just one game, but this is a seven-game series. You saw Golden State look really good in that second half of game two, and then people are saying, oh, it's Golden State series now, and then, and then Toronto you know, comes in game three, blows them out of the water, really. So I think it's kind of from this series even, the lesson that I've got is to not you know, put so much weight into one game because you know the injuries are always changing for Golden State. So... It, you know, and for worse or for better, because game two, they got worse. Game three, there weren't really any injuries, but, you know, players got rest for game four and the futures games. So I'm, I'm taking Golden State. I feel like the adjust, I feel like both these head coaches are really good and they're making adjustments in the games. And we saw Golden State after game one adjust to game two adjust in game two we saw toronto adjust their game after game two scoring 123 points everybody shooting better than 50 percent i just don't see that happening again i don't see golden state playing as bad as they did so this is gonna go six or seven in my opinion just i mean you know for respect yeah, I mean, teams, you know 
Yeah, I mean, and bad's a relative term when you're talking about Golden State. I mean, they still put up 109 points. I mean, defensively, they did play a pretty bad game. But, you know, they still played 109 points would probably win you a f- over 50% of mm-hmm. your games. Yeah. And, you know, obviously Toronto is a good, a really good team. But, you know, it's yeah. I, I think it's going to be more hard for Toronto. I don't know if that's a correct grammar there. But... <laughs> I think it's going to be harder for Toronto to replicate the success they had than is, you know, Golden State, I think, could put up a similar style of game if they just played more better defense. It's going to be harder for Toronto to shoot as well as they did and put up the points that they did again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, some, something, yeah, um, if you don't mind, I definitely get what you're saying about the living in the moment thing. I know I was definitely a victim of that after game one when Toronto Mm -hmm. beat the Warriors. And that was then why I picked the Raptors to win game two, which they didn't. But I feel like watching after watching three games, I don't necessarily think I'm just living in the moment per se. I don't know if I'm a hundred percent correct on this, but I want to say that other than, the third quarter of game two where the Warriors went on that 18-0 run. I want to say that other than that quarter, the Raptors have outscored the Warriors in every quarter of this series. And the Raptors did get 123 last night. And I believe in the first game, it was 118 or 116 or something like that, that they scored. And if it weren't for their bad jump shooting in game two, I feel like they would have put up a similar number in that game too. So I don't necessarily, I know most people are probably going to pick golden state to win, which is totally understandable. I definitely don't think it's unreasonable or crazy to pick. Well, golden I think state they're the to win. favorite. Right I'm now. sure. I'm sure they are. I mean, yeah. they're at home. They're getting Clay Thompson back. So it's definitely not unreasonable to pick the warriors to win, but I just feel like Toronto has outperformed, other than that third quarter of game two, which was what made the difference in them losing that game. I feel like Toronto has outperformed Golden State in almost every quarter of this series, except for that one quarter. So I don't, I know it's going to be difficult with them being on the road again and Clay coming back, but I don't know. I have a lot of confidence in Toronto right now. So. Like I said, I think if they can just weather that storm that they're going to have to face early in the game, then they could definitely steal this. So, all right, we will see. We will see. <laughs> yeah, it's it's good to get different opinions on this and everything because you don't want you know we we don't want to all be saying the same thing and thinking the same thing. You know, it's that's all natural. picking the Warriors. <laughs> yeah, like Connor and I are still taking the Warriors. Eric's taking the Raptors, but you know he's not going to be surprised if uh if the warriors win and quite quite frankly i wouldn't be surprised if the raptors win you know from their game three performance but moving on from the predictions we did get one question from the last episode and the question was pretty much looking back on game two and more specifically the clay thompson injury and the question was is the offensive player at uh, clay thompson in that situation 
did he get injured because he was trying to get a foul drawn on him? And there's a lot of debate going on that, and a lot of people are saying that Clay was trying to get a three-point foul, and he kind of stuck his leg out and hip out in an unnatural position instead of just shooting the ball like he normally would. And because he didn't end up getting fouled on it, he landed, you know, doing that split and then injuring his hamstring. And I watched the video a lot because when I was first watching it, I couldn't tell exactly if Danny Green kind of like bumped him and caused him to land like that. But after watching it, you know, quite a few times, I've concluded that 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 theory is correct and that Clay was trying to get an offensive foul called on him. And then when Danny Green, he, you know, he I think there was a little bit of contact, but it wasn't like it, it didn't cause him to do a split. That was his, you know, reaction to trying to get a foul called. And the refs didn't call it. He did. He ends up doing that split and gets injured. And to to me, this is kind of like bigger than that just one play and that in the NBA in general the refs are giving a more of a friendly whistle to the offense in those cases and if it even looks like it might be a foul they call it or it if it if the offensive player initiates contact with the defender even if the defender is standing still or in their space you know where they have the right to be then they call it on the offense. And you see a lot of guys do this in, in these games where they, you know, James Harden's a master of it, where he, well, he's a master at drawing fouls and he has all these free throws a game and he's a great free throw shooter. So it's good for the team. The Rockets do better because of it. And, but then when you get instances like this Clay Thompson foul, I think it's a lose lose situation because. Most of the times they end up calling the foul, and most of the times the defense, the defensive team gets penalized for something that I don't think should be penalized for. And then also the offense can lose because you can have a guy like Clay Thompson in this case injure himself trying to draw a foul. And to, so to me, it's a lose lose with this. And I wish the refs would be a little bit more consistent about it because. Earlier in the season, they weren't calling fouls like this. You know, they weren't they weren't allowing James Harden to get away with this stuff. They weren't allowing Steph or Clay or any really good three point shooter to to do this. But they've been doing it more after the All Star break, in my opinion, of watching the games and more in the playoffs. And it's causing I, this is the final, so the spotlight's on this game. But Clay Thompson's a big time player. I'm sure. There's been other minor players that have tried doing stuff like Clay did and got hurt from it. So I'm curious to hear your guys' take on the whole offensive player initiating contact and, and searching for the foul. Yeah, well, I've disagreed with you on the predictions of the game that are for the upcoming game. For this topic, I agree with you 100% on. I mean, I didn't realize what exactly had happened in the moment uh, mm-hmm. with this injury. But when I saw the replay, looked back at it, the way he flung his legs out on the shot was just such an unnatural looking motion. And I definitely agree that he was trying to 
draw the foul. And I don't like it, not only because of the fact that, you know, he could get injured, like what happened there. I just think it's such a cheap way to get a foul. I I don't like Mm it. I wish players would just shoot the shots normally. I hate when players flop. I hate... Really, really quick to interrupt, Eric. Um, Yeah, go ahead. For all of our YouTube uh, listeners and viewers, I've been showing the replay, I think, two times. And you, you can even see... I'll start it right now, but... After he falls down, he looks over to the ref there, you know, like he's probably saying, like, come on, like foul or something. Like, yeah, like you're not going like, to call that. You, like, yeah, like, you, <laughs> you, come on, you, ref. And this happens to Harden a lot too. And it seems like these guys are looking at the ref before the, they even see what happens with the shot. And he's laying on the ground and he just immediately starts looking at the ref as if that was his goal the whole time. So. I'll let you continue on. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't really have too much more that I wanted to mm-hmm. add in that. But I just, I hate flopping. I hate trying to do. So, I mean, he wasn't even really. I don't even know if he was touched there. I mean, I don't even really know why he was looking at the ref trying to get a foul there. It maybe he touches his arm or something. Mm-hmm. He definitely it's, doesn't hit his leg. Yeah. Like. It's not natural like, the way he landed from that no. contact. If there was any contact, no. so I mean, and then what if this? What if this ends up costing the Warriors the series? Was it really worth it to try to get a foul call there? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't like it. And one thing I noticed that players do too. I mean, we can't tell from this clip because there's no audio. But another thing I've been noticing basketball players do too, and I don't want to talk about it too much to get too much off topic, but. Mm-hmm. I've noticed players a lot of times now will yell when they shoot a shot, like if there's a defender <laughs> near them or when they're running into the paint, especially and going up for a layup, they'll go, ah, like as they throw the ball. Well, yeah, you heard Draymond yeah, do that quite a bit in this they're, last they're game. Trying, they're trying to draw these fouls, not just by falling down to the ground, acting like they got shoved, but they're even making it worse because they're going, ah, ooh, all these <laughs> yeah. you know, ridiculous sounds that they're making as they drive into the paint, trying to make it sound like they got hit. So, oh, I'm in pain. I got hit. I mean, it's so, <laughs> it's so ridiculous, man. But I definitely agree with Zach a hundred percent on this. I think he was trying to draw the foul and ultimately it cost him there with the hamstring injury. So I, that's pretty much all I have to say about that. But I definitely agree a hundred percent with Zach on okay. this one. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think in my opinion, I, I agree with both of you about that he was trying to draw the foul. In my opinion, it looked like he was anticipating that there was going to be contact. And, you know, I think had he been touched when he was shooting, it wouldn't have quite gone down like that. But since he wasn't touched... I think going into it, he 100% wanted to draw the foul. And the Mm -hmm. fact that he wasn't touched, it caused him, it was kind of like a split decision thing. Like he was still going for the regular shooting motion, but then kind of on the way down, I think he decided I should try and get this foul because, and then it caused him to land the way he did. And I said, I think not getting touched probably caused that. Had he been touched, he would have been trying to go for the foul the whole time. But since he wasn't touched, he, there was that delay on him trying to draw the foul. And so then it caused him to try and, you know, overact, I guess mm-hmm. I should say. And then, That's you know, he did, 
<laughs> he did that split and yeah. you know it cost them it cost them dearly because of his hamstring injury but and yeah I totally agree that you know they are favoring the offense a lot and I mean I think it's not just in the NBA we're not going to go into this too deep but in the NFL also and I mean I I think I've seen even just watching the Stanley Cup this time around you know mm-hmm. I think the offense is getting the benefit of the doubt way more than the defense is. And I mean, it doesn't happen all the time. Like last night, I think, I think the game was pretty even in terms of the bad calls because there were certainly bad calls where the offense got the benefit, but I think there was also bad calls where the defense got the benefit. Like there were a couple offensive fouls where, that were called on the offense that shouldn't have been called where, you know, the defender was standing in the restricted zone or, you know, stuff like that. So I think last game it was pretty even in terms of the bad calls, but overall the offense does seem to get the benefit of the, the benefit of the doubt more often. And in a way, I think it's just for excitement, honestly, you know, because if the defense is getting the benefit of the doubt, then, less points are being scored, um, less excitement. Whereas if you're giving more fouls to the offense, getting into the free throw line and whatnot, then more points are going to be scored. The excitement's going to be higher. Like I said, we're not going to get too deep into this, but that that's my opinion. And yeah. I agree that he was trying to go for the foul, and I think he just decided not being touched hurt him a lot. He just decided too late. And over, like I said, he overacted. Yeah. Yeah, and like Eric said earlier, I when I was watching the game, you know, you're just mainly watching the ball, so you don't see the landing like that until you watch like a replay. I don't think I saw a replay of it, so I was kind of yeah, it was, I was, it, was, it was it was something I hadn't thought of, and and because I noticed that like he tried to keep playing, but then and then he tried to tell his team. I finally figured out at the end what that whole like thing was with the you know him doing the the double arm like he was I think he was trying to tell his team to foul so that he could get off the court but but yeah so I want to thank my dad who was the one who came up with that question to talk about for this so he uh he told me that he got it from his friend at work who's a big fan of the NBA and he follows it really closely who told him about it and he as a Tennessee fan I think he feels kind of personally to sort of stuff like this because in the NCAA tournament, Purdue kind of did something similar, trying to draw an offensive foul on a three-point shot that ended up costing Tennessee the game. And it was, you know, looking back at the replay, it was pretty questionable of a call. So he wanted uh, he wanted some more clarity on that, in our opinion. So thank thank you to to my dad Steve for uh, for coming up with that question, but. We're going to go into our DraftKings lineups now. And it was a pretty, obviously, couldn't get any better because all three of us placed in the top five. Eric finished in second. I finished in third behind him by about 12 points. And then Connor finished in fifth, just one point or so above six. Very close race there. (laughs) That was a close race. And it really was determined in the last, in that like two around the two minute mark when Van Vliet hit that three pointer to put him over the top. And then after that three pointer, 
both teams kind of just ran the clock out and put their subs in. So there wasn't really any any fantasy scoring in that last minute. So that that three pointer was was really the game ceiling decision for between fifth and sixth place between Connor and some random person. But uh, <laughs> um, but Eric finished second despite. Oh no, he yeah he to our viewers uh, and listeners. He did change his lineup a little bit, so I'll let Eric kind of talk about his his lineup that he changed and then how well it did. Yeah, I'll just – I know we're getting pretty mm-hmm. late into the episode here, so I'll keep it pretty brief. But I actually did make a last-second change, as I noted. Um, what happened was I initially – it's it was the same players, but I had Draymond as my captain instead of Steph. But I realized I still had – it was either like seven hundred or eight hundred dollars left over in salary cap money, so I thought, well, I wonder if I could switch my captains. And thankfully, I had enough money where I was able to put Stephen Curry as the captain instead of Draymond. And with Draymond really not having a good game overall, that definitely made the difference for me because if not, I probably would have finished near the bottom and out of the money two episodes in a row which would have been bad for me so (laughs) um, yeah i may have had that one seventh place finish but i've had a first and a second finish now so that gives me you know more confidence going forward with this ultimately what hurt me from not getting first was my cheapest player that i picked norman powell he literally got me zero points so if he had even just hit one three-pointer I would have got first, but at the same time, I mean, Stephen Curry obviously went off and I'm pretty sure everybody that was up in the top were people that had him as their captain and Mm -hmm. Danny Green and Sergi Baca both outperformed their salaries, which was another big help. So I was very happy with the results and I'll let Zach, since Zach was the next highest place, I'll let him go over his lineup from game three yeah sure so i uh i kept my lineup from when the podcast was recorded so i didn't make any changes but going in when i started the when we could see everybody's lineups that i was the only one who had siakam and siakam finished with 37.25 fantasy points which for him at that price is not great but it's it's not a disappointment. So he did about what he was expected to do, or at least what I expected him to do. But a lot of that, like Connor said, came in the first half. So he really could have had an even bigger game if he had done better in the second half. But I know Toronto was playing a team game, so it wasn't going to be one guy just dominating. And then another thing that I was surprised about was that Van Vliet was only started by 20%. I believe Connor was... Yeah, yeah, it was just you and me me that had him in our lineups. And I was surprised after game two how well he did, that he was as cheap as he was. And then also that he was only started by 20% of the people. But like like Eric said, everybody that had Steph as their captain did well because as a captain, he had 109 points. So (laughs) that's a lot. And then (laughs) Livingston didn't do that great for me, but everybody else contributed 30 or Van Vliet only had 25, but finishing in third, I did about average as far as the winners go. So I was in first for most of the game, but, and I was thinking I was excited that I was going to get my first, first place, but finishing third, I'll take it. That's 
anywhere in the top five I'll take. That's all that matters. So it was mainly Steph on my team. And Danny starting Danny Green helped a lot because he really outperformed his contract. But I'll let Connor talk about his lineup here. Yeah. Um, obviously, Steph Curry, captain. He was easily my what carried me. Um, not starting Danny – two things probably hurt me the most. Not starting Danny Green because I'm pretty sure everybody above me had him, and I was getting really nervous throughout the game because he just kept knocking down those threes. And like I said, I'm pretty sure everybody above me had Danny Green. I know he was only started by 50% of the people, but I'm assuming that actually MJ did not. The guy below me – the two guys uh, who were sixth and seventh both had him for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the, I was saying the guy who was seventh had him as his captain. He was ahead of me for a lot of the night, but he uh, he got let down by not having Steph as his captain. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, that hurt me quite a bit. Um, and also, Demar- I mentioned this earlier. Demarcus Cousins, eleven points after how well he performed in the first game, I mean, it hurt a lot of people because he was started by sixty percent. Um, but Abaka. He really came up big towards the end of the game. I mentioned he had like those four blocks in the mm-hmm. span of a few minutes, and he started to knock down some buckets. So that was what really brought me back into it. Because I was sitting around seventh for most of the night, but Ibaka really brought me back. And then my man, Fred Van Vliet, with that uh, <laughs> rainbow Most, three. Dude, he's underrated by DraftKings, man. He I, He's underrated. Yeah, so I I know. I was really surprised that only you and I started him, but that rainbow three at the end of the game was enough to put me over the top. Yeah, so I wasn't overly happy with what happened, but I still finished in the money, so I can't complain about that. Yeah. All right, so since Eric uh, finished first, I'll let him talk about his new lineup first and share to you guys what he has. Yeah, so with not having as much time to pick these lineups as we usually do since they're not playing on, instead of having two full days off, they only have one full day off. didn't have as much time to think about. And while I, I did make a lineup change last time, but this time I feel like I'll probably keep my lineup the same. But I'm going with Stephen Curry as my captain again. Them being at home, he seems to play better there and clay thompson is coming back but i feel like steph is still going to be the star of the show so i went with him as captain again from what i'm as i mentioned earlier too what i'm hearing about clay thompson is that he's not going to be on any kind of restriction he's supposed to start and play his normal amount of minutes so i decided to stick him in my lineup I also wanted Kawhi again, so I also just like I did in the last game, I've kind of hopped on the bandwagon of picking the two most expensive players to be in my lineup. I feel like it's almost an essential thing to do. I w- didn't have quite as much success when I didn't do that as I as I am having, you know, as I had last night. So I'm rolling with Steph and Kawhi, and then I've got Clay, and then my last like good player I guess you say at least in terms of the salary would be Van Vliet I did not have him last game because the lineup style by having Draymond and Kawhi and Steph I couldn't afford him but I'm not picking Draymond this game so I'm taking Van Vliet 
and Clay Thompson as opposed to having Draymond and then weaker players. And then my last two, I guess that you would say would be just my role players that I'm hoping I get some value out of. Ibaka has been good the last two games, and I feel like his salary is still pretty low for how he's been performing. So I'm picking him again. My last one, Jarepko, I'm not really expecting anything out of him, but I did notice that in the last game, even in his limited minutes, that he did take six shots. Now, he only made one Mm -hmm. of them. But he took six shots, you know, got a couple of other little stats in there. And if, you know, if he can do that again and get me, you know, 15 points, I won't complain. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Especially after Norman Powell got me that amazing zero last time so (laughs) anything will be an upgrade over that so this is my lineup on terms of my confidence level i'm i guess i'm gonna say i'm semi-confident with it i you know i didn't spend too much time with it this time so that prevents me from being able to say i'm fully confident but game two i wasn't really that confident at all and i ended up not doing that great games one and three i felt better so i feel Fair, I guess I feel okay about this lineup. So I guess that's all I have to say about it. And I guess uh, Zach was next in the order of our previous one, so we'll let him share his lineup next. Yeah, so this is, I think, the second lineup in a row, I want to say, where I've, I finished my lineup with zero salary remaining. And... <laughs> And Maximum efficiency. Using yeah. every dollar. <laughs> yeah, I'm using uh, the computer method. <laughs> but I, like Eric said, that's that Curry and Leonard Matt combination seems to be almost a guarantee, considering how well all both those players have done in in all three of the games. So I've got both of them in my lineup. Leonard was a little bit cheaper than Curry, so I have him as my captain. Originally, I had Curry because who wouldn't want Curry as our captain after that game three? But I, for the rest of my team, I couldn't get the player that I wanted without hundred dollars short. I was yep, I was a hundred dollars short of the lineup, the same lineup, but with Kawhi and Curry. So the difference between, if you want to know, <laughs> just to know the difference between Curry as your captain versus Leonard as your captain is a hundred dollars. So I needed that hundred dollars and I used all of it to make that adjustment with the rest of my team. But looking at my other starters, this is the first time I'm starting Mark Gasol and he had a really good game last game. He scored 17 points for him and he seems to be rated kind of cheaply. So I took four Toronto players in this, even though I predicted Golden State to win, just because of the fact that they were cheaper than Golden State's players for the most part. And then Van Vliet, uh, I said before, I'll continue to say it, I've started him now three games in a row. He's the most underrated DraftKings player that there is because he plays like a starter the amount of minutes he has. And even that last game where he wasn't on fire, they still were starting him for his defensive awareness. And if he's a, even though playing really good defense might not be the best thing for DraftKings as far as like getting statistical points and stuff, you get rebounds, steals, and blocks. But if you, if he continues to play good defense on Steph, that means he's going to be in the game more and it'll give him more offensive opportunities. So 
he plays starter minutes. He was only 6,000. So I took him again for the third time in a row. I didn't take Ibaka last game, but I've had him in some of my other lineups. And he was the player that I was $100 short from getting. And the difference between him and Quinn Cook, I thought was, you know, too big to... I, I figured that the difference between him and uh, Cook was going to be greater than the difference of Leonard and Curry is the captain. So that's I really wanted a Baca, and that was the main player that I wanted to get with that $100 that I was short with. And he had a really good game, three, and I expect him to... Whereas like somebody like Danny Green kind of benefited a little bit from Clay Thompson not being able to defend him. Clay Thompson normally wouldn't defend Ibaka. The Kevon Looney would normally guard Ibaka, and Looney's already going to be out for the rest of the series. So so I'm still confident that is going to have as good of a game that he did. I don't think he'll get six blocks, but uh, I'll, take, I'll take 25 points, uh, fantasy points from him. And then I'm rounding out my lineup with Bogut. And Bogut's the cheapest guy in my lineup, but he did play more minutes because that Looney injury and DeMarcus didn't play as many minutes because defensively he was a liability. So like I said before with the Van Bleep thing, defense, while it might not matter so much for the points your guy gets, if your guy plays good defense, the coach of that team is more likely to keep him in the game. So I feel like Bogut played better defense than DeMarcus Cousins did, and he actually ended up getting more minutes, I want to say. He had 22 minutes, DeMarcus had 19 minutes, and DeMarcus is much more expensive than Bogut. So he might, you know, it's it's unpredictable. These role players are hard to predict, but hopefully he gets, I guess his fantasy points per game is 12.1. I'd be happy with, like, 15 from him. So, Bogut rounds out my six-man lineup. So, now we'll show you Connors. Yeah. um, So, my lineup has probably got the biggest question marks of any lineup. That's probably going to be in our group. I'm sure a lot of people, if they look at this, they're going to wonder. They're going to think my lineup's probably the worst. So... But because, again, we didn't have a whole lot of time with this. So I am definitely not very confident in this lineup. Not nearly as confident as I was in my last two. Um, But Steph Curry is the captain. I mean, nothing else to say about that after how he performed last game. So I I put Draymond Green in this time. You know, he had a okay game three. I think he's going to have a better game four. I think with Klay Thompson back, it's going to open Draymond up for more opportunities you know, if he can keep playing the defense, he didn't play the defense on Siakam in the first half, but if he can play the kind of defense he did in the second half, then I think he'll be if he if his second half self comes out, I think I can get a lot of points from Draymond. Probably the biggest debate I had when making this lineup was I was thinking about putting Draymond Green as my captain and moving Steph Curry down to the utility and trying to see if I could, you know, dump one of my more expensive players and get Kawhi Leonard. But unfortunately that was not the case. So I decided, I was like, okay, I'll just keep Steph Curry at captain and have Draymond in the lineup. And I will go without Kawhi, uh, which could be a mistake, but 
I am going to go without Kawhi, and I'm going to take Green instead. Then I've got Kyle Lowry, another big question mark. Um, I know we ratted on him before, but he played a really good game three. And I don't know. I'm confident that he can put another, another good game. I mean, he's going to get the minutes. He's not just because of, you know, that they, because he had a really good last game, but he's got that veteran leadership quality. You know, the Toronto Raptors are fairly, aside from, you know, at least they're guards. They got some really young guards on the team, and I think Lowry's got that veteran leadership, the veteran experience that they need in the game. Then I went with Andre Iguodala. You know, he had an okay last game. He's probably going to get a bit less minutes in this game with Clay coming back. But if he's on the court at the same time as Clay, it's going to open him up more for opportunities because they're obviously going to want to guard Clay. Kind of the same mentality as to why I put Quinn Cook back in my lineup again. You know, if he's out there with Steph and Clay, then they're gonna he, he's gonna open up. Even if he's just out there with Steph, you know, like kind of like he was last game, he was getting open. He just couldn't knock down the shots as well last game. Uh, but I think he'll have a better game. And then finally, Danny Green. I know he's. We also talked about him being hot and cold, but after the way he played last game. I especially for how cheap he was, he's still only forty eight hundred. I was pretty surprised at how cheap he was after his performance last game. So I decided I would go with Danny Green to close out my lineup. I went Golden State heavy. I think Golden State since I think Golden State's gonna win the game. But I'm definitely a lot less confident in this lineup than I have been in the past. It's the first game I've gone without Van Vliet. So that He's might come boy, back. Man. How can you go without him? <laughs> I know. Might come back to bite me in the butt since I was one of only two who picked him last time, and he was who saved me. But um, yeah, I, I said I'm not as confident. But if I finish in the money again, then I'll be happy. I'm not expecting a first place with this lineup, but I do think it's going to be enough to get me back in the money. That's great. So before we end the show. Eric told me before the show started that he wanted to give a little bit of a uh, mini rant about the commentators on the game. So, Eric, I'll let you go ahead and uh, do your little rant. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> yes, thank you for opening up the floor here. I mean, overall, in general, there were you know some good things that I heard from the commentators that I've mentioned earlier in the podcast. But there was one comment that was made near the end of the game that just really frustrated me. And... I don't remember for sure which commentator it was, but I want to say it was Mark Jackson. He said that the lineup that the Warriors used in Game 3, that if they had to use that lineup all season, like basically I guess just saying if if that was their Mm -hmm. team, if they didn't have Klay Thompson, if they didn't have Kevin Durant, that they would not make the playoffs. And that just irritated me for whatever I don't know why I think because I think the reason why it irritated me so much was because I felt like as if he was making an excuse for why the Warriors lost the game mm-hmm. as opposed to saying that Toronto outplayed them and played the better game because you have to be crazy to think that a team with Stephen Curry, Draymond Green, DeMarcus Cousins and Andre Iguodala in the starting lineup would not make the playoffs. 
Yeah. I mean, literally, other than, <laughs> other than, okay, yes, Clay Thompson was out, yes. But this is the same team that before they had Kevin Durant, yes, they had Clay Thompson, but the same team made the finals in 2015 and won it and had a 3 1 lead in the 2016 NBA finals. Now, yes, they had Clay Thompson for those games, but they didn't have DeMarcus Cousins either at that time. Now, I know they're completely different players with their different positions they play and the different values they bring to the table. But that's still three players that have made all-star teams. And Andre Iguodala, who's won a finals MVP, that's still a really good team. And so to say that that team would not make the playoffs, and like I said, which to me just sounded like an excuse for why the Warriors lost the game when really Toronto just was beast Mm -hmm. this game. So to me, it was just an excuse and, I didn't like it. Like, if he had said that maybe if they had had to field the same team and they wouldn't, maybe that team wouldn't have made the finals, I would be totally okay with that. That, mm-hmm. that would be, I mean, even then, this team still could have made the finals. They still swept the Trailblazers in the, you know, conference finals, even without Durant. So, and they didn't have DeMarcus Cousins in that series either. So, I, it could even maybe still be an argument that this team could have made the finals. But to mm-hmm. argue that they wouldn't make the play, I mean, come on, man. That was just such a ridiculous comment. It triggered Favoritism. me, obviously. It, <laughs> it triggered me, obviously, as you can tell. I don't know. I just, like I said, there were other positives that I took from things, different things the comment the commentator said in the game. But when I heard that, that just stuck out like a, that just stuck out like a sore thumb, and just frustrated me. <laughs> you yeah. see, you pulled this thing up on the screen. Mark <laughs> Jackson, an NBA coach. <laughs> uh-huh. I don't know, but yeah, that, I just yeah. I just wanted to rant about that no, before I, we ended the episode. That just really frustrated me. I agree. When I heard that, I wasn't like I didn't have as strong of a reaction as you did to it, Eric, but. I definitely agree with everything he said, and I think the reason, another reason why he said that is, I I don't think that they would have made the finals, but I think that they certainly would have made the playoffs, and just because you lose to Toronto, who proved that they were the best team in the Eastern Conference, you know, you got to remember that the NBA schedule, you play everybody multiple times, so you get all these, you know, just because you lose to potentially the champions of the nba and the raptors by double digits doesn't mean that you wouldn't make the playoffs like i if they had lost if if they had lost to like memphis or something or <laughs> by, by this much then yeah i might i might agree with that but they played the potentially best you know the the team that might win the championship and lost so there's not really any shame in that so i i agree with yeah you. yeah i mean you know i was I like Zach. I didn't have as strong of a reaction to it, but I did hear that. I went, "What? Like, <laughs> what kind of a comment is that?" Yeah, it, it <laughs> you know, I, I didn't. I didn't think about it too in depth, but it did surprise me. It was just one of those that knocked me off my feet when I was watching the game. I was like, "Wait, what? Did he just say that?" <laughs> so yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, I mean, obviously, most people probably weren't as outraged by it as I was because I've literally looked all over the internet and social media and everywhere, like trying to find people that might be talking about this. And 
I haven't been able to find it anywhere. So, maybe <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just kind of like a subtle comment. So, I mean, a lot of people probably didn't even notice it, but ah, man, I was yeah. I was triggered. I'm <laughs> obviously it's, it's a day after the game, and I told the guys before we went on air. I'm like, yeah, at some point in the podcast, I want to rant about this. <laughs> <laughs> so Definitely. yeah, so that that that's I guess my final thoughts. But yeah. hopefully, if you know, I don't want to hear these same comments if the Raptors win again, even, you know, with Clay Thompson in there, I don't know what the excuse, I know, obviously they can't use that same excuse, but I, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to hear, sorry, a sorry excuse like that. Oh, this team's not even really a playoff team without Clay Thompson and Durant. You're crazy. You're I crazy. said favoritism. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, totally. Maybe, I agree. Maybe that's why Mark Jackson isn't a coach anymore. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. No, I think seriously. he, I think he'd be an okay coach, but but that will wrap things up for today, guys. Great show talking to you guys about this. Definitely an impressive win by the Raptors, which we all enjoyed seeing. We all won our DraftKings lineup, so it was pretty good on that front. Connor and I got the game predictions wrong, but I think both of us thought Clay was going to play. Not to make an excuse for us, but that uh, that was... That was big for well, like I said, like I said, sorry to interrupt, but like I said, if uh, Clay Thompson had played in the game and dropped like forty points, and the Warriors ended up winning that game, I'd have been like, well, you know, I didn't know he was going to play, so there's my excuse. I was backup excuse. Yeah, I had I had my back. Now I don't know since I Clay Thompson's supposed to be back in this game, and I'm still predicting the Raptors to win. So if the Warriors win the next game, then it'll just be a bad prediction by me, but we'll see, man. We'll see. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So thank tomorrow. You. yeah, games tomorrow. Thank you uh, to everybody who listened and watched this show and make sure that if you guys have any questions or anything you want to ask us, you know, leave a comment on YouTube or Facebook or reach out to either me, Eric, or Connor, and we'll feature it in the next show. So it's a great way to get your voice heard if you, you know, want to say something that you see that we don't talk about. So I encourage, I encourage that. But like one said, once again, thank you to everybody that listened, and hopefully you guys enjoy the game on Friday like we will. And see you guys later. Peace. See ya.